earlier in July, we had Christmas in July, and now we're having, it seems like, Easter in July, isn't it? And so why are we doing this? We're doing this, we're doing a series on the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed is this statement of faith. It's a belief, set of beliefs that comes from the early church. There's a copy of it printed in your bulletin. Natasha read a portion of that when she was up here sharing with the kids' message. And one of the ways we can think about the Apostles' Creed is a guide to faithful reading. It's a way that helps us go through the story of the Bible and make sure we're not veering off into other things. And it helps us know how to understand it. But we also see as we read that Apostles' Creed that it is a story. It begins with God, Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And then it talks about sending Jesus and all that he has done. And so we've been leading up to that in the last few weeks leading up to that. We learned that, and I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. That Jesus Christ is not just a man, but he is the Messiah, the chosen one of God, the one destined to fulfill all of God's promises and make all those things come true. He's the Lord. He's the king over all of creation. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, that he's not just a man and he's not just God, but he's God and man, both of those together. And he brings those things together and he can fully understand all that we are, all that we have, all the experiences that we have. That he suffered under Pontius Pilate, that there was this historical moment in time that we can go back in history and say, there was this real Jesus and he lived and breathed as a first century Palestinian Jew in the time of Pontius Pilate. And so there was this particularity about him, but also this way that we can anchor it in history, that he was crucified, dead and buried, that he suffered this death on a cross, this death of shame, this death of pain, this death of agony. And then he was dead and buried and then descended into Hades that he truly was dead. It wasn't just an illusion. It wasn't just a fiction that he had went to the place of the dead and there conquered death and Hades. And then we come to the line for today, the resurrection. And so we're going to talk a little bit about the resurrection. I'm not going to get into necessarily the historicity of the resurrection in other words, going through the proofs to say that we can believe that this is something that truly happened. It is something that truly happened, and that's important to understand. This isn't just a moral tale. It's not just an image or a metaphor of resurrection, of new life coming out of death to help encourage us in dark times. It's talking about a true event where a man, this man Jesus, who we've just learned all about, was put on a cross. He was dead. He was placed in a tomb on a Friday afternoon, and then on Sunday morning, God raised him from the dead. That he who was once dead is now alive. That's what resurrection is about. We're not going to necessarily talk about what his body was like. Later on in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he talks about that. And he's these debates about, you know, what sort of body it is. And I know that's sometimes the questions that we have. And it seems like just in the last couple of weeks, I've had people, discussions with people wondering about that. Well, what's our body going to be like? Is it going to look just like this? Is it going to be, you know, if I'm older when I die, is my body going to be old? Is it going to have the same scars and the same pains and things? And those are good questions, but not questions we're going to answer today. They're good questions, but they may not even be questions that we have the answers to or have been given. But it does say a little bit about that. But what we want to talk about today is the significance of the resurrection. Why does it matter? Why is it so important for us to confess in our faith that on the third day he rose again from the dead? Why is that so important? 
So we're going to focus partly on this uh, passage from 1 Corinthians. We're going to do some other passages too, but 1 Corinthians is this letter to this church in Corinth, and this passage on the resurrection comes near the end of the letter. And it's a reminder of grace in some sense that God does before we even ask. And he starts, Paul starts as he's writing this letter, I want you to remind the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you've taken your stand. And then in verse three, for I, what I received, I passed on to you. And so this sounds like a creed, doesn't it? It's something he got, Paul isn't making this stuff up. He's saying, somebody else told me about this. This is these things and I'm passing it on to you. And he said, I passed on to you as a first importance. And he passes on th four things of importance. That Christ died for our sins according to scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to scriptures. And that he appeared. So he died for our sins. He was raised. He was buried. He was raised. And then he appeared. And it all says that's according to the scriptures. And that doesn't simply mean that we can go back and say, oh, here's this one verse in Isaiah. Or here's this verse in Genesis. Or here's this verse... What it says when it says according to the scriptures is, it's saying according to this story that God has been telling, that all of the Old Testament, from Genesis through Malachi, all of these things have been leading up to this point where the Messiah comes. That it's all been pointing forward to this fulfillment of God's plan to make all things new. And Paul says this is, I passed on to you as of first importance. So what do we think is more important than this? What's more important than first importance? Nothing, right? I mean, this is, this, is the, this is the foundation. This is the bedrock. These are the critical things that he was died for our sins, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, and that he appeared, that people saw it. And so let's think a little bit about why does it matter? Why are we so, we celebrate every Easter Sunday, the resurrection, but what's the significance? Why does it matter? So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. In other words, if Christ, if Jesus was not raised from the dead, everything we're doing here, these gatherings we have on Sunday morning, me standing up and preaching, you giving money to the church, you spending your time volunteering, kids going off to camp. It's all pointless if Jesus has not been raised from the dead. That's what he said. I mean, listen to that. He says, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then our preaching is useless and so is your faith. So no matter how much faith you have, no matter what you believe, if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, if, if there was not a resurrection, then your faith is useless. But Jesus has been raised from the dead. It's not a hoax. It's true. And so we can say it's truly good news. So that's the first thing we want to recognize, that if Jesus has not been raised, then our, our faith is useless. But it, he has been. So, but it also tells us something else. It tells us something about who Jesus is. It tells us that Jesus is the Messiah. He wasn't a false prophet. He wasn't a lunatic. He wasn't a martyr. There were plenty of people who were crucified during the times of the Romans. But only one did God raise from the dead. And this means something about him. It's a sign that he was given power. In Romans chapter 1, verse 4, Paul says this, talking about Jesus, 
who through the Spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, this resurrection is a sign, it's a confirmation, it's a belief of God's power in Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the climax of God's plan. So when we celebrate the resurrection, but part of what we're saying is this Jesus is truly the Messiah. So in Acts 2.31, it says, seeing that what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. So who was the Messiah? Well, if you go back a couple weeks ago, we talked about that, about Jesus the Christ, and this term Christ, the anointed one is the same word as Messiah. In other words, he's the fulfillment of God's plan. He's the one God chose to rescue us from sin. He's the one who is appointed to reign and to rule over all things. And you heard some of that in the passage we read earlier where it said, uh, for he must reign until he put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So when it says all his enemies, so everything, every dominion, power, and authority, so what's not under Jesus' feet? Nothing. And so the resurrection is a confirmation of that. It tells us something about who Jesus is. It tells us that he is the king. He's the Messiah. He's the reigning Lord of the universe. And what that's telling us is what God was going to do for Israel and the world. He's already started and begun in Jesus. And the story, and as Tasha was talking about that earlier with the kids, was alluding to that, that what this is, is the beginning of God making all things new. So we have a story in our Bible that begins with what? God making heaven and earth, creating all things, and then sin enters into the world. And the promise of God through the scripture is that he's going to make all things new, that there's going to be a new creation. And Jesus is the beginning of that new creation. It's a sign that the new creation has begun. The Jews thought that resurrection was going to happen at the end of time. Martha, in her conversation with Jesus when Lazarus had been dead, she says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. The Jews had this picture. They're like, oh yeah, at the end, there's going to be a resurrection when God does everything. But how do we deal with a resurrection in the middle? It's a sign that God is already starting to make all things new. That the new age had begun. That we live in a different time. We're closer to the new age now. And Paul alludes to that in 1 Corinthians 15 here. He says, he says, But Christ has in, in, indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So the first fruits. Well, what are the first fruits? The first fruits are when you're harvesting something, those first ones that come on the vine. But when we see the first fruits, what do we know when we see the first fruit? There's going to be more. It's the sign of something coming that is more. And so when it talks about Jesus as the first fruits, it's saying that he's not the only one. I mean, that's what happens when I plant things. I usually, after I get one fruit, I'm happy. But when God plants and he raises Jesus from the dead, he's saying he's the first fruit. In other words, this is a promise of more to come. And the more to come is all of us sitting here. The more to come is believers all around Michigan. The more to come is believers all around the United States. The more to come is believers all around the world. 
that Jesus Christ raised from the dead, I believe that on the third day he rose again from the dead, is the first fruit. It's this promise. It's this hope. It's this guarantee that that is not the last resurrection, but instead it's the first resurrection and there would be more to come. And that history is moving to this climax. So it's a promise of things to come. The other thing it tells us, so there's all these things is, is resurrection is connected to our salvation. I like the way Michael Bird puts it. He says, we often think of the cross as salvation and resurrection as a get salvation here button. But the resurrection is closely related to salvation. 1 Corinthians 15, 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Listen to that. If Christ has not been raised, you are still in your sins. So somehow the resurrection is connected to it. Or in Romans 4.25, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So the resurrection is connected to it. Or as Michael Bird goes on to say, he says, a dead Jesus can be a teacher or a martyr, but he cannot be our savior. A dead teacher or a dead Jesus can be a teacher or a martyr, but he cannot be our savior. So the resurrection is connected to our faith. It anchors our faith. It makes it, you know, it anchors and tells us who Jesus is. It's a part of our salvation. It reminds us of the first fruit going forward. But I want to spend the end of it focusing on this last thing, that resurrection is an integral part of our discipleship. It's a part of what it looks like to follow Jesus. A writer and pastor Eugene Peterson talks about it. And he borrows a phrase from Wendell Berry where he talks about it as practicing resurrection. He talks about the idea of following Jesus as practicing resurrection. And so he says this, while we live our lives in practice of what we do not originate and cannot anticipate, when we practice resurrection, we continuously enter into what that we are. He says, when we practice resurrection... We keep company with Jesus, alive and present, who knows where we are going better than we do, which is always from glory to glory. He says, the practice of resurrection is an intentional, deliberate decision to believe and participate in new life out of death, life that trumps death, life that is the last word that is Jesus' life. So in other words, the resurrection calls us into a new life. Because if we have been raised from the dead, if we're invited to follow that same Jesus, we're invited to live a life like him. And so when Paul is talking here in 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about this connection. And so we're going to come back to this discipleship. But he says, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So we have one man, we all die in him and we all die in Jesus. And we're all raised in Jesus. And you say, well, how does that work? The fancy term that theologians give it is corporate solidarity, that he's the representative. But I like the way Anthony Thistleton, a theologian, gave a great example of it. He said, imagine you're on a sports team, maybe playing soccer, maybe playing football, baseball. If you're on a soccer team and another player scores the goal, who gets the point? The whole team, right? Not just the guy who scored the goal. 
or if somebody scores a touchdown in football or somebody hits a home run in baseball. It's the whole team. And that's what happens when Jesus is raised from the dead and we're on team Jesus. He gets the resurrection. It's not just him. It's everybody on the team. But the thing that this also calls us to is to then look more like Jesus and to be more like him. And so we're called to live that out. Paul talks about it in Colossians 3 where he says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. In other words, we're called to embody new creation. If that whole storyline is moving forward, remember God is moving from old creation, which has fallen into sin, moving to new creation. And new creation described in the book of Revelation is a place where there is no more sorrow, no more mourning, no more tears, and no more sin. We're moving from old creation to new creation. Jesus has started new creation and is moving that way. What direction should we be moving in our lives? More towards more sin or towards less sin? Looking less like Jesus or looking more like Jesus? We're called to look more like Jesus. And that's what the resurrection, so as Jesus is raised from the dead, he's calling us to begin to live into that new creation life. And even at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, and I would encourage you to just read that whole, that whole passage, that whole chapter is just a great chapter about life. But at the end, he says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. He ends this story of the resurrection with a command with an imperative. And I want us to think about one command from the Bible as we start to think about this resurrection life. Anybody name a command from the Bible? Come on, you guys, you probably pick one, right? What do, come on. Love thy neighbor as thyself. What's another one? Thou shalt not steal. No killing. No adultery. No other God before me. Okay, those are all commands in the Bible, right? All things were called to obey. What command is, occurs the most often in the Bible? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Every time God shows up, every time angels, what is it? Fear not. We don't think, that's a command, isn't it? Don't be afraid. And why is that? Because I think maybe it's the hardest one to obey. Because it's the hardest one to obey. We live in fear all the time. I may be the only one, but I've been getting a lot of political ads in the mail lately. <laughs> if you want some, I have some for you. If you haven't been getting enough, it's your house. I want you to pay attention. As you read those political ads, one of the things... I notice as I read them is there's an underlying philosophy, an underlying um, incentive. I'm losing, drawing a blank on the word I want here. But what do the, all political ads are based on? If the other person gets elected, what's going to happen? Low bad stuff. I mean, all, I mean, like it couldn't get any worse. You know, the end times are coming faster if we elect the Democrats or the end times are coming faster if we elect the Republic. Whatever the other parties, the end times are coming. What's that called? Fear. It's called fear. And so it's based on, but a lot of life is based on fear. And a lot of our sins really come out of fear. 
Oftentimes, why people steal? Why? Because they're afraid they're not going to have enough. Somebody mentioned adultery. Maybe you know, commit adultery. Why? Because there's this fear that maybe I'm not loved or there's this fear that's going on. So much of our sin is rooted in this idea of fear. Fear of being abandoned. Fear of being lost. Fear of not being recognized. Fear of not being enough. Fear of losing ourselves. Fear of whatever it is. And it's all in some sense fear rooted in the fear of death. Because if we're afraid of death, then it's like, well, I've got to get enough stuff. I've got to do all these things because I'm afraid of death. And so Tom Wright talks about it this way. He says, don't be afraid because he said what, what we're called to do is to not be afraid because the God who made the world is the God who raised Jesus from the dead and calls you now to follow him. In other words, this belief that we have if we say that I believe that on the third day he rose again from the dead, tells us that one of the biggest fears we have in life, the fear of dying, we don't need to be afraid of that anymore. We don't need to be afraid of death anymore because Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. And he is the first fruit, which means all those in him are raised with him. So no more need to be afraid of death. And if there's no need to be afraid of death, then really there's no need to fear anything else because death is the last enemy. So when we confess, I believe that on the third day he rose again from the dead, we're saying, I don't need to be afraid anymore. I don't need to worry because God raised Jesus from the dead. And if he can conquer death, he can deal with anything else that's coming at me. He can deal with anything else that is coming at me. One of the, uh, you've probably heard me share before, and I know my kids have this quote from James Bryan Smith, where he says, I'm a child of God, one in whom Christ dwells, and I'm living in the unshakable kingdom of God. In other words, one in whom Christ dwells, one in whom the risen Christ dwells. And if the risen Christ lives in us and we live in him, then we're living in the unshakable kingdom of God. In other words, a kingdom that cannot be destroyed, a kingdom that cannot be broken. And so as we seek to follow the commands of the Bible, as we seek to follow him, we can look back to the resurrection and say, whatever challenges I'm facing, whatever things that are coming at me in life, whatever is being thrown at me, however I'm facing it, that I don't need to be afraid of those because the risen Christ is standing with me. Because Jesus Christ has defeated death, sin, and the devil. And he has been raised from the dead. So I don't need to be afraid. No more fear to be. So Christ is risen and invites us to believe. He invites us to follow him. He invites us to no longer be afraid. So when we confess those words, when we come and we say, I believe that on the third day he rose again from the dead. We're reminding ourselves that God has defeated death. We're reminding ourselves that history is moving towards its climax. We're reminding ourselves that Jesus is the first fruits, that we have this same hope of resurrection and we don't need to be afraid. And that's why when Paul starts this chapter, he says, now brothers and sisters, I want you to remind you of the gospel. In other words, I want you to remind you of the good news because that's the good news. That because Jesus rose from the dead, 
we who believe in him will also. And in the meantime, we don't need to be afraid anymore. Amen.